This morning, I'd like to recap um, the six M's that we've been talking about this past several weeks and what, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to set that in the context of our everyday vocations. So that's why we've entitled this message, Fruitfulness in Our Vocations. Now, vocation, and before I do that, I'm going to pray. Father, we lift this time to you with looking at your word and looking at your teachings uh, about what we do every day. And we pray, God, uh, that you will enable us to understand more and better uh, who we are, what you've called us to, and how you want to use each of us, Lord, to make a difference in this world of yours. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Vocation is a big topic that is spoken of in many different ways. And for those of you who want to delve a little bit more deeper into the topic, I left a few um, uh, articles. It's an article on the doctrine of vocation at the door if you just want to understand a little bit better what, uh, what we're going to just touch on uh, today. But if you ask people what vocation they have, normally you're going to get an answer like, I'm a student, I'm a teacher, I'm retired. And oftentimes, we use the word vocation as a synonym for work. But vocation really means calling. And the English word calling comes from the Latin word for vocation. And that's why we often hear the words used interchangeably. And we're not used in the religious sense, such as we often hear called into the ministry, People sometimes use it of their occupation when they feel particularly suited for it or dedicated to it, as in the sentence, my occupation is more than a job, it's a calling, it's a vocation. And when I say our vocation of work, I'm speaking about our callings in our everyday life that go beyond, and we'll get to that in a moment, that go beyond our job. So when we talk about work, Work emphasizes our activity. Work is anything that we do, mental or physical activity, that's done to achieve a result. Vocation emphasizes that someone called us to it. And it makes all the difference in the world. When you go to your occupation on, tomorrow morning, it makes all the difference in the world if you're just thinking of it, of being just a, it's just a job, or, this is my calling. And as Guinness famously said, there is no calling unless there is a caller. So when you speak of it as your calling, it's no small thing. It's something that God has called you to. If you're here today, knowing and following Jesus, you can know that Jesus took the initiative towards you and called you to himself. Through his word, someone you knew, his spirit, his voice speaking to you. And that's our primary calling. And that's what the scriptures speak of the most. The Apostle Paul says we have been called, according to God's purposes, to be conformed to the image of his Son, to be like Jesus. There's no higher calling, there's no greater value placed upon you. You're the crown of his creation, and in our sin and in our brokenness, he's called us to himself. And this morning, if, whether here or online, wherever, if you don't know Jesus, it's not by chance that you're here and listening. 
God is calling you. We all have secondary callings. And our secondary callings are God's assignments in our various life situations. He is Lord. He's involved. He's in control. And so in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says this, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. These life situations are four. There's your family, there's your occupation, there's church, and there's society. That's all of life. And no one part of life, this is important, no one part of life is more sacred or spiritual than another. Why? We bring Jesus into all of them because he is in us. So each domain of life has different callings, has different vocations, has different commands according to our roles, according to our giftedness and opportunities. For example, in my family, I am a husband, a father, and a grandfather. In my job, I am a director. In, my, in our church, I'm part of a small group. I play in the band occasionally, and I help direct global outreach. And in society, I am a neighbor to the people in my neighborhood. In those roles, I seek to work according to the gifts and the opportunities that I have following Christ's commands. So in our family, one challenge is to understand what it looks like to love our adult children and grandchildren. In my job, I ask the Lord, how can I best connect to the churches that I connect with, which is my responsibility, to help them in their kingdom work, to help them in their global outreach. However, in each arena of life, our purpose is the same. It's to love God, it's to serve others, displaying his glory, and seeking his kingdom in that life situation. So in that sense, our vocations are our kingdom assignments, our portion of the kingdom the Lord has assigned to all of us. Called by God. It's very important. I'm not just there. You're not just there by chance called by God to leverage for his purposes his work in the world, whether that's his work in your family, in your church, in the, in the everyday occupation that you have, or in society. Now we need to stop there. What do we mean when we speak of seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness and his justice? Well, we remember, as we spoke about in the very first message when we talked about this, we exist for the crown. We exist for the crown. On the first page of the Bible, the very first command given to humanity was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and then what? And subdue and rule over all. Rule over all. Now, what does that make us? If you say kings or queens, you're correct. Loyalty. And I like to use the term vice regents because in reality, we are not the king or the queen. We're vice regents on behalf of the king of creation, his ambassador. And Eugene Peterson, 
uh, the late Eugene Peterson, a number of years ago, used the term king work to describe any honest and moral work that highlights the essential dignity of our work being related to God's work. This is, listen to this description of his. Work derives from and represents the sovereign God who expresses his sovereignty as a worker. King work. Sovereigns work to bring order out of chaos, to guard and fight for the sanctity of things and people, deliver victims from injustice and misfortune and wretchedness, grant pardon to the condemned and damned, heal sickness, and by their very presence bring dignity and honor to people and land. God's sovereignty is not abstract. It is a working sovereignty and is expressed in our work. And now listen to this last, this is very important because it relates to us. All of our work is intended as an extension of and participation in that sovereignty. Gives new meaning when we speak of being the hands and feet and ears and nose and eyes and mouth of Jesus. We heard an example of that this morning in first person. Our vocations are the means of God's work in the world. So, for instance, through our work, we get to provide people fed, clothed, educated, cared for. And incidentally, they're not side issues that's something that's material and instead of something's more spiritual. They're not side issues. That's an integral part of God's work in the world to help people flourish. Jobs for the unemployed, kingdom work advanced, workers sent out, evil work pushed back, all through our work, every, our everyday work. We get to provide. We get to create order, a dirty, untidy house put back together a nurse bringing healing, an arrest that keeps someone safe, power lines repaired in a storm. We get to bring beauty, a street that is cleaned, a home that is decorated to make people feel welcome, a beautiful song, a craft, or a work of art or architecture. We get to release potential, turning sand into glass or chips, Nurturing children to adulthood, blessing and empowering others to do good. And we get to relate to other people. We encounter people of all shapes, sizes, beliefs, worldviews, and opinions. And we recognize how much we need to learn to love well in our broken world as we have been loved by our Savior. Our everyday vocations enable us to do all that. So here we are in all of our vocations. All are necessary and used by God to accomplish his work. All are the sacred venues that God uses to get his work done. You are the partner with God through your vocation as a mom, as a teacher, as a healthcare worker, as an engineer, as a custodian, a truck driver, a programmer, a house cleaner, you fill in the dot. And this is why Martin Luther referred to vocation as the mask of God. What did he mean by that? 
God hides himself behind us and providentially accomplishes his works through our vocations, our work. Now, we have to understand that word providential. It was one of my mom's favorite words. It's providential, Johnny. She used to say that I grew up hearing that. <laughs> what does that mean? God is directly involved in guiding and caring for his creation, though you may not see him. Robert was the providential instrument of God to bring, to bring a measure, a little measure of flourishing to the people of Liberia. God hides behind the doctor for healing. He hides behind the lawyer, hopefully, to do justice. He hides behind mechanics and tradespeople and carpenters and electricians who fix things, who, who put things back together. He hides behind them to repair things, to bring restoration. He hides behind the teacher to instruct. He hides behind the parent and the grandparent to nurture. And not only, all the, our vocations and these six M's that we're, going, that we're considering remind us that giving the gospel is not the only fruitfulness that God desires and works in us through repentance and dependence on Jesus. There is a holistic fruitfulness that affects all of life. So John Wesley... You've, we've all here, I'm sure, heard of Method, the Methodist Church. We see them everywhere. They're, they're very well known here and around the world. John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church, even though he wasn't trying to do that. He would speak, he would speak of complicated wickedness. Humans are complicated. Our hearts can deceive us, and as a result, Sin is woven into the societal structures of any country, of any society. His society, when he lived, was 18th century England, with its issues of poverty, child labor, alcoholism, gambling, and even more. And the theology that he highlighted was that repentance in a relationship with Jesus involved both a personal response to sin and a social response to sin. Not just personal. A social response to sin and it was all based on the love of God and being in love with God. So if we were in love with God, Wesley reasoned, we would, as a consequence, be the instruments of God to address the societal ills all around us because of sin, because of our love for God and being in love with God. And one of the reasons we are speaking about the six M's is that often in our circles, our theology is about me and God and my personal response to God often to the exclusion of our social repentance and our social response. So for instance, and we've seen that throughout history, and oftentimes, oftentimes, the 
quote unquote evangelical church has been on the wrong side of those social issues, whether that's in the issue of slavery for hundreds of years or more recently in the issue of AIDS. So for instance, back about 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, World Vision wanted to get involved in, in those orphans in Africa, for instance, orphaned by AIDS. And they did a survey as to how many of God's people would get involved with that. The survey revealed, this is what the survey revealed, this is around 19, this is around the year 2000. 3%, these are believers, 3% definitely would help. 3% of God's people definitely would help in, in those AIDS victims of orphans, orphaned by AIDS. 52% probably or definitely would not help. And we ask, how can God's people respond that way? And that's because of the way they looked at AIDS and the way they looked at, well, that's the judgment of God, so we don't need to help all the orphans and all the, we're talking about millions that were affected by that. Let's recap the six M's and look at that. Let's recap that and reminding ourselves, this is a framework by Mark Green of the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity that helps us work through all this. So the first one is, remember, it was modeling godly character. So we know the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if we know Jesus, the scripture says that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Spirit. As we walk with the Spirit, the world will take notice, particularly when we're not treated well, when we encounter problems. And this is kind of the starting point, walking by the Spirit. And if we know Jesus, if we know Jesus, we're already doing that in some measure because his Spirit is in us. We're already doing that in some measure, and we want to grow in that. Secondly, making good work. We're reminded in Colossians, as in the Ephesians passage that Paul read this morning, that Jesus is our real boss. And in Colossians 3.23, it's summed up in whatever you do, work heartily is for the Lord, rather, and not for men. We offer it to him, and we, we learned a word a few weeks ago called avodah. That's the Hebrew word that both means work as well as worship. And we were reminded that we don't have an English word to bring those two things together, but avodah brings them together, work as worship. We offer him our work as a reflection of him and for him. And therefore, we work with creativity. All of us do that. We all have different ways of being creative, even if we don't think of ourselves that way. Why? Because we're made in the image of a creative God. So one of our challenges in life is find out, well, how has God wired me? How has he made me creative? We do our work with excellence. We do it with integrity. A friend of mine who works overseas in business was involved in starting a new restaurant in the Middle East. So we like to visit different restaurants to see how they did things. 
He tells the true story of visiting this particularly, particular trendy restaurant in Southern California. The food was great, the service was great, great decor. He asked to see the manager to see if he could visit the kitchen and maybe take some pictures. As he returned to his table for dessert, he asked the manager, what's your secret? Your food is great, the service is excellent, this place is awesome. She smiles, she says, oh, that's easy, I'm Jewish. And my friend replied, in other words, avoda. And the manager's jaw dropped. How do you know Avodah? He explained that he taught business from the Bible. And she replied, exactly. Everything we do must be done with quality because everything we do, we do for God. Avodah. Here's an action step for you as you leave and go wherever you're going. Print the word Avodah on a little card and put it in your workstation whether that's your kitchen, whether that's your truck, your car, your cubicle, wherever it is, just have the word Avodah in front of you. Because everything we do in that context, we do for God. Third, ministering grace and love. Now we want to remember something. We love using the word minister in our church language. And it's kind of normal that we use the word minister in a religious saying. We like to say, I had the opportunity to minister to my neighbor. And it sounds kind of holy. And it is holy. And the definitions of minister and priest, the first definitions in the scripture, in the dictionaries, are religious meetings. But we want to remember that the word minister that we use that way, my friends, simply means to serve. It's not a religious word in that by itself. It simply means serving. Now we normally think of ministers and priests as the ones who are professional workers for Jesus. But the Bible says we are all priests. And so, I, so, so the, the well-known verse for that in First. Peter 2, we read, but, you are but we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are all priests. Revelation says we are a kingdom, priests unto our God. What does that mean? Well, I remember a conversation I had with our Italian neighbor who lived above us in our apartment building when we lived in Milan. As often happened, we were talking about the differences between Catholicism and Protestantism. And he summed it up with this simple statement. You believe that you can go directly to God. You have a direct connection with him. We have to go through the priest. Interesting observation. We can go directly to God because we are priests. And if we are, that means we are the mediators between God and the people all around us who do not know God, and those who do. We represent them to God in prayer, and we represent God to them in serving them in love as his ministers and priests. How? What does that look like for you? I don't have the foggiest idea. 
because all of our situations are different. All of our everyday situations are different. But I do know that it begins with a posture of showing grace and love to people proactively, intentionally. What does it mean to show that grace and love to the people I rub shoulders with every day? Which sooner or later is tested. Because sooner or later, you will be treated in such a way that requires you to extend grace. Unmerited favor to the person who did not treat you well. Or in the words of the late Larry Crabb, to show them irrational generosity. And what's significant about the passages of Jesus being our boss that we read in Ephesians 6 that Paul read is the context. It's the context of New Testament era slavery, not to be confused with the chattel slavery of the hundreds of years of our country and of the British Empire that began with kidnapping, which according to the scriptures is punishable by death in the Old Testament. We're talking about a system of labor that was part of the system in the Roman Empire. That included, included every good relationships, people educated, people reaching high levels in society, but still everything from good relationships to petty annoyances to outright abuse. The whole realm of enemy love. Loving when you are mistreated. So an action step right now, as the minister and priest, all members of, or all ministers, write down the names, and maybe you've already done this. This is, this is similar to what we did here, but write down the names of the people on your front line that you will meet tomorrow. Write them down and begin praying for them and ask God, God, where are you working? And use me in their lives because it begins there. Molding culture. Remember, whether we plan it or not, culture happens through our attitudes, words, and actions done in a group setting. So culture is what we make of the world. And as you seek his kingdom through the way you work, the love you show, the desire to help people flourish, you will influence the culture that you step into and you will give people a taste of the future. Alexis, we'll call her that. I have to be careful not to say Alexa because it might wake up somebody's phone. Alexis, we'll call her that, is a global worker, and this is a true story, working for a big national company overseas. She writes, if you've ever wondered who writes those click here for help pop-up messages on your computer or phone, that's me. I love details, structure, process, technicalities. Isn't it cool how God created each of us differently? But the question I want to explore is this. How can this sort of job be a part of his mission? How can the dry technicalities of correcting grammar and producing HTML files possibly make a difference for the kingdom? So she recounts this true story. A coworker said he's rethinking his career. For quite some time, he's viewed this job as a stepping stone to higher career aspirations. 
But he said our work environment is nothing like he's experienced before. He's never had a mentor. He said that referring to me. He's never had a mentor who coached him and gave constructive feedback without condemning his mistakes or writing off his lack of experience as a lost cause. The supportive team culture has even made a difference in other areas of his life outside of work. He laughed and said he'll never be satisfied in another job even if the work aligns more closely with his career pursuits. She concludes, when I go to work, I aim for more than excellence in the tasks at hand. I also aim to transform my work environment into a place where every voice is heard, where there is empathy and understanding for personal and professional life alike, where failures are opportunities to learn and where we all help each other. And incidentally, the company she works for, which is a big multinational, is not a, is not a quote, kingdom company. It's what she made out of her little area her little portion of the kingdom assigned to her. So look where you will go tomorrow. You will see things, I believe you will see things worth celebrating, things that are missing, things that are broken, things perhaps that are evil. And in your bulletins, if you have, in your bulletins, you have a card. And we put that card in there so that you can take that card with you and remind yourselves questions to ask about your culture and how God may want to use you there. Things worth asking, what is worth celebrating? What is missing that I can contribute? What is broken that I can help restore? What is evil? Got to be careful on that and so forth. And who can I invest in? So take that home with you. That's another action step. Number five, the mouthpiece for truth and justice. Because molding culture will kind of lead us to this. We know the world is not as it should be. And we're watching that every day, right now. Most of us will not be able to be a mouthpiece on a national or international scale, but we never know, we never know I'm sure that when Wilberforce started out doing what he was doing, he did not know that his name was going to become a synonym for the abolition of slavery in the whole British Empire. He didn't start out that way. And incidentally, John Wesley was one of the persons who encouraged him in his politics, as did John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. God wants to fix what's broken and wrong. And, and we're the means. Let us never forget that. We're the means. You see someone bullied in your everyday, in your, at your school, or at your job, or wherever it is, what does it look like to stop that? You see lies or stories going around that aren't true? What does it look like to stop that? 
everybody you know get treated fairly? I don't think so. What does it look like to deal with the poverty that we may not experience, but it's out there big time? We're globally minded. A lot of things are wrong in the world, particularly in places where people have barely heard of Jesus. And we heard about some of that this morning. In certain countries, slavery and sex trafficking of women and children is a regular experience. There are opportunities in our volunteer time. We can do a number of things, just like the Rise Against Hunger, like we will do after, after the worship service this morning. But we really need to be asking these questions about our everyday vocations where we live in the 110 hours when we are not in church, except for those whose vocation is working in the church. Then those have to ask these same questions, those who are responsible for the lead leadership of the church. And the last one is a mess being a messenger of the gospel. And I'll remind us as we go through these, these are not chronological. This is presenting a holistic picture of a follower of Jesus in all of life in our everyday. Now, a few people are called to be a messenger of the gospel full time. We call them evangelists. And there are some venues where you can, quote, evangelize openly. But doing so in the context of our workplace is another story and requires much discernment and a whole other message. But for most of us, our verbal witness will be part of the everyday conversations of life where you live and work. And it may take time, and it's usually premised upon all the other M's that we've been talking about. It's usually premised in particular upon what people perceive of us in, our, in how we show grace and love to others in the context of a broken world. So let's hear from Alexis again about another experience that she had. Let me tell you a little bit about my team. Among my coworkers, one is introverted, has social anxiety, and lives with her aging father. Another is young, extroverted, and ambitious. Another is a wife and mother of two. And then there's me, the American, who's introverted but social. In another setting, we might struggle to find anything in common. But here, we automatically have a connection. We're all technical writers. Last week, I had a phone call with one of these phone coworkers. She shared about things she's facing right now. And before hanging up, she made a point to thank me for reaching out. She told me she's observed that I'm different and genuinely care for others. For the moment, when I have an opportunity to share where that difference comes from. And, and she lives in an area where the majority of people are not followers of Jesus. I close with an illustration from the Old Testament of a manager and an activist. Obadiah, not the prophet that has the little book there in the Minor Prophets, Obadiah was a manager who worked in the days 
you know who he worked for? He worked for King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. He was their manager of the palace. Obadiah served in that palace, earning the trust of King Ahab. And this story is recounted in 1 Kings 16 to 18. 1 Kings 16 to 18. While Jezebel was killing the Lord's prophets, Obadiah was able to hide 100 of them and provide them food and water, working from the inside. At the very same time, there's the prophet Elijah. He's the activist. He, on the other hand, stayed on the outside and denounced Ahab's wickedness, confronted the prophets of Baal, and had to flee for his life afterwards. Now, it's very interesting. Both served God and his purposes, one as an insider and the other from the outside. And one writer says it very well. The lesson is clear. If Obadiah could serve God while working for Ahab, then believers may work for almost anyone. If they can serve God there. We can work in corrupt enterprises if we resist compromise, restrain evil, and promote justice. And I would add, and continue to show grace in it all, the irrational generosity of God that was shown us. It is also permissible, he writes, to avoid hostility by fleeing, or we may stay where we are despite the danger. And you have people doing that right now in the Ukraine. Jesus modeled both tactics. So there's two callings here, a manager and an activist. And we have all of our callings. My friends, God is at work. And we are the means of his work in the world. There is no plan B. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the abilities, the gifts, the callings, the vocations that you have given all of us here in this room, no one accepted. May we ask, Lord, the questions. May we ask the questions of our different vocations, God. How do you want to use us in those vocations to love and serve you and others well and to help people to flourish? God, show us as individuals in our everyday what that looks like and show us as a church corporately what that looks like. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.